Uh, let me just give a quick building update. Uh, as you guys know who go to church here, uh, we've been actively looking for a new building for over eight years now. And our timeline of Exodus is coming real close. We don't actually have an exact date, but we're under the uh, impression or assumption that we're gonna have to be out of this building at the end of 2022, right around November or December of next year. And so we gotta we got have somewhere to go. And as much as I love this building, I was standing in the back there talking to Dave, asking him a few questions and I felt a drip on my forehead and I thought a, thought a seagull pooped on me, but no, it was, it was, it was, you know, and I just love where the rain's coming in right by our technology department, you know, thousand. I was like, oh, this is fun. This is fun. So be that as it may, we are actively trusting in the Lord, number one, and actively pursuing what God, I believe, is leading us to find land, to buy it, to build a building, and then not just to be, uh, build a building and relocate our church, but also God has led us recently to recapture a vision that was given to us years ago, which is to pioneer and launch a Christian school here in Lincoln County. So uh, that's clapworthy. I want to be like, that's... Uh and I was thinking about our Christian school. Every church has the freedom. Every Christian has the freedom to do whatever God would call them to do. And I was going through the mindset of why are we doing a Christian school? Why us? Why, why, why is this happening? And there's all kinds of other churches I respect, I learn from, I model them, I glean from them. And they're not starting schools. They're not doing it. It's not what they're doing. But in those areas, by and large, there are Christian schools available. There are bigger, bigger neighborhoods and bigger cities. And right now in Newport and in Lincoln County, we don't have that available to us. So I really believe this is what God wants us to do, has us to do. We're excited about it. God has been providing. Here's the threefold update slash prayer points. I want you guys to pray with me. Number one is we need the land that we've identified to become freed up. I'll just leave it at that. We need it to become freed up so we can purchase it. And that's the prayer. This is Lord, free up the land. Free. You can just, you just chant it out. Not right now. I'm just kidding. No, dude, that's weird. Uh, you know, here's my question though. Do you guys believe it's going to be freed up? Okay, amen, I do too, I do too. Secondly, we're gonna need, in order to pull this off, it's a big deal. Cost of bread has gone up like sixfold. Same with buildings, apparently. Okay, so it's expensive, and we're gonna need a lot of money to make this happen. We're gonna need, well, I'm gonna say it this way. We're gonna need the finances to just keep coming in exactly the way they are. We're gonna need to just say the exact same, moving into 2022 as our church becomes a tithing church, where our church says, hey, let's just tithe. We're not gonna pass the hats, we're not gonna change anything, but families will commit to just being those men and women that say, let's give God the first fruits of our days, dollars, in deeds, and God's going to continue. As a matter of fact, in this last month, we've had people all over the world, all over the country, all over the state, sending in checks, saying, we see what you're doing. We believe in it. We want to support it. We want to get behind it. So we need the money to keep coming in. Here's my question. Do you think this is going to happen? Amen. I do too. And so the third point, not just we need the land to be freed up and we need the finances to keep coming in. We're trusting God for both of those. We also need God to lead us as we develop and discover our team of volunteers and paid staff that will help us lead the mission of the school and the church building. Okay, we need God to use all of the body of Christ, both volunteers, paid staff, professionals, all the people that God has already brought to the surface. And I'm not even worried about it. It's so fun. I've got a few things I want to uh, announce, but I don't have the liberty to to do so yet, but God's going to raise up the men and women to do this. Do you guys believe this is true? You believe this is true? Okay, that one wasn't as, as a, that one wasn't as, yeah. God's going to raise up the men and women to do this. You guys believe it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so those three things, we need God to free the land, keep the money coming in, and I, uh, reveal to us who our team is moving forward. So I'm just going to bathe those in prayer with you real quick. Father, in Jesus' name, we trust you, and as a congregation, as a body of Christ that gathers in this funky warehouse, and we'll do it forever if we had to. Man, it's awesome. We could bring rain jackets and umbrellas inside. It's cool. And uh, Lord, but we believe, we really do believe that you have better things in store. We believe, Lord, that man, if it... If it were left to us, we might just stay here and, and, and do this. But I, I think you want, Lord, like a mother eagle to get us out of our nest and to do new things. 
greater things, to do the things that you put on our hearts, Lord, and for our community and for your glory and for others' good. We believe this. And so we ask in Jesus' name that you would give us that confidence and that faith, that we trust you, Lord. You've been faithful thus far, 100%. Everything, Lord, that has happened has been perfect according to your will. And we ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that the land would be freed up in Jesus' name. Lord, just free it up. You know what needs to happen. You know who needs to sign. You know who needs to agree. You know what needs to happen. Do it in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, for the money that has already come in that we've put away in our, in our savings account. We're ready to rock and roll, Lord, with the amount we have, but we're gonna, we're gonna trust you for the future as well. We're gonna trust you, Lord. You have enough, and so we're not even worried about it. In Jesus' name, we ask for you to do that. Also for the team of volunteers and paid professionals, Lord, who are gonna come along and help us educate and disciple young people and build this building. We need wisdom, Lord, for contractors and laborers and excavators and, Lord, for all that, I pray in Jesus' name for deep wisdom to be given to us, provision and all sorts. And I pray you'd pick people, handpick men and women that would get to help us, that would be a part of what you're doing, and they would receive, Lord, both in the process and in the product. We thank you, God, for all you've done. We pray you do this. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. The question I ask you guys is, do you believe that God's gonna do this? I truly do believe God's gonna do this. He's gonna do it and we're gonna see it. And it reminded me last night as I was considering that question, do you believe it, of the story in 2 Kings 6 and 7. Remember 2 Kings 6 and 7, there's a famine in the land, things aren't going well. And God gives Elijah a word, a crazy word. And Elijah prophesies and says, I know we're in a famine. I know we're in a drought. I know we're in a downturn, but check it out. Tomorrow it's all gonna change. And you're gonna be able to buy a loaf of bread for a nickel and you're gonna be able to buy a bag of flour for a dime and all this crazy. And he says this and everyone's like, no way, bro. One guy though, this is crazy. One guy says, no way. I don't believe it. And then he goes on to say this. He says, even if God opens up the windows of heaven and pours out his, even if God does that, it can't happen. And Elijah looks at him and says, say it to my face. Come again. And Elijah then doubles down on his prophecy and says, a couple things are gonna happen here. Number one, it actually is gonna happen. Just as I said, like, it's gonna happen. Uh, this is the bad news. Unfortunately, you who don't believe, you're actually not gonna participate in it. You're gonna see it, but you won't receive it. And if you know the story, the next day, miracles happen, all kinds of crazy stuff, circumstantial evidences arrive, things happen, it's crazy, and the miracle comes true, and there's provision, and so crazy, the people are so hungry that they go out the door, get out of my way, I'm starving, and they run out the door, and they actually trample this guy in the doorway, and he dies and does not participate in the blessing that God promised he'd give. Kind of a brutal story, isn't it? It's one of my faves, one of my faves. because we're not messing around here. And when I say we, I'm saying the kingdom of God. He is not messing around. He is not messing around. Politicians messing around, men and women over the years messing around, people always messing around, people putting out you know, cookies and milk, messing around, saying where it came from, people messing around. Jesus Christ is not messing around. The kingdom of God is not messing around. He is coming and he's doing things right now. And I wanna encourage you guys who are part of his kingdom okay, to line up with what he says is to be true because he said it, I believe it, that settles it. And you, and you can't understand it. You can't explain it. All you got to do is let George DeSoto said and prepare your hearts. Give George a clap, everyone. 
yeah, I'm excited, man. The Lord's going to do these things, and we need to make sure that we're standing there at the ready, not getting trampled by God's miracles, but participating in what he wants to do. So I'm excited about it. Let's be a congregation of faith. Let's be optimistic in the battle. King David, when he showed up, there was giants in the land. He smiled big and said, can I kill them all? Is that okay with you guys? Caleb, when he was given his land, looked at the giant hill and said, can I have the hill with giants? I'll take it. God's good. I'm more stronger now than I've ever been. And God wants you and I to be men and women of faith because our world needs it, don't they? Does our world need a bunch of babies and whiners and complainers and cancel culture people and people that don't understand? Okay, I wish I could go to every single person and hand you a stick that would fix all your problems and your situation. That's not gonna happen. But instead, God gives us faith. He says, oh, your situation's out of control. It's all messed up. Everything's going crazy. Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And every single story I read in the scriptures is all messed up, isn't it? Men just read the stories like, that's messed up, that's messed up. It's all. And, and God provides, God conquers, God wins, God is king, God is supreme. And I hope in Jesus' name that you'll grab one of these Bibles next week and you'll study through the Old and New Testament. And you'll read stories like Nehemiah and stories like Daniel and stories like Esther and stories like Jonah all the stories of what in the world, this is all messed up, this is all upside down. And the men and women who know God, Daniel chapter 12, verse three says, those who know their God will do great exploits. Do you know your God? You do. But you need to be reminded from time to time, hey, let's go. This is a good thing. These are good days. God has good plans for us. This is his character. This is his promise. So hey, let's get fired up. Let's get fired up now in, in Colossians chapter three. And uh, Colossians chapter three is where you should be and we studied this last week, and I want to kind of put a title on the sermon notes that you're taking. If you have a notepad in front of you, write this down. If you don't have one, there's a card right in the back of the chair that you're sitting on, and you can write this down. He died for you, now you live for him. I mean, that's the rules, right? Like, that's, it's this, that's, the, that's the headline on the contract. Like, what are we doing here? Like, Jesus died for you, now it's time to live for him. As a matter of fact, look at verse five. He says it this way. He says, therefore, the therefore is therefore a reason. It's a conclusion to all that he's already told us in chapters one and two and the beginning of chapter three. All the things that Jesus has done, all the things, listen, that Jesus is doing, all the thing that Jesus is gonna do. And because of those things, he says, therefore, and he goes into kind of some, some punches and some directives. And he tells us 11 carnal, sinful activities that we all struggle with. No, nobody's innocent here. We all struggle with them. He says, take those 11 things, put them through the washing machine and throw them away. Get rid of this stuff. I'll read it to you just so you uh, know how to prepare for the sermon that's coming. He says in verse five, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And he lists them in case you're not wondering or not, not understanding. He says fornication, that's sex before marriage or outside of marriage. Uncleanness, Okay, that's perversion of all sorts. Passion, that's again a sexual sin. Evil desire, again a sexual sin and perversion. And covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, this is, by the way, did you know that in the book of Exodus, the 10 commandments are given? And the final commandment is thou shalt not, starts with E or C, rhymes with of it. Covet. And it literally says don't covet, but it adds kind of an interesting addendum. It says don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's horse. Don't covet your, it just says don't covet all this stuff. And our world today is largely put together on this idea of I need more. I don't have enough. I want what you have. I'm not happy until I get it. And the Bible says, no, no, careful, 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 careful. It's a 10 commandment. 
Don't do it. Well, what happens if I do it? Oh, look at verse six. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked. What's that? The sons of disobedience. Listen, when you lived in them. I just got to say this right off the bat. Paul's writing to a church at Colossae. These were a godless people. They weren't Jews who became Christians. Okay, these were Greeks that became Christians. These were men and women who lived under the Roman customs and they heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, whoa, I think our lives are radically out of order. You know, and, and where the Jews are pretty much in order, they just missed the Messiah. They had like a little, little baby step to get saved. Well, these guys were out to lunch, okay? And Paul says, you guys were doing all this stuff. And that gives me great encouragement because so were you at South Beach Church. You know, you guys are crazy, right? <laughs> nervous laughter, nervous laughter. <laughs> Have you been to the 6 p.m. service? Man, trust me, trust me. And yet, you know, Paul says it's the good news. He says, I, I know, I get it. See, sometimes we tend to limit Jesus and his love for others, and we tend to apply it heavily to ourselves. Well, of course Jesus loves me. I'm like, you know, better than that person, better than that person, better than that person. And you look at somebody who's so far out to lunch sometimes, and you look at somebody who's doing things they shouldn't do, and somebody who's struggling with rebellion or sin or weakness, you're like, man, poor soul. And the Lord up in heaven is saying, I love them. I love them. I love them the same way I love you, Luke. I love them the same. This is imperative that you understand this. If you want to be an effective Christian moving forward today and not be judgmental in our society that's gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, okay, it's gone crazy. And Paul says, yeah, you guys used to do this, but God loves you and he loved you out of it. He says, he goes on in verse eight, he says, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these. And he gives another list. And this is more of an, an attitude, an action, maybe a heart list. He says, anger, that's from inside. Wrath, that's also coming from inside. Malice, that's just, these kind of go in order. Anger turns to wrath, which ultimately surfaces in malice, which comes out in blasphemy and filthy language out of your mouth. Interesting, out of the mouth, the heart speaks, the Bible says. And now he, is, he addresses this issue that's deeper within. Maybe that's, maybe your first issue is not carnality and sin and sexuality and perversion, all those things that happen in the world and happen within us. But maybe it's more of an inner battle. You're just an angry person. You're a Christian, but you're just grumpy and you're angry and you give yourself all these hall passes and freedoms and the Lord says, no, 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 don't do that. In verse nine, he goes on to summarize it and he says, hey, do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man and his deeds. I like how in verse nine, he summarizes the entire list of 11 saying also don't lie. Because you've probably read through this list and said, not my problem, not my problem, nope, not my problem. Used to deal with that, not my problem. And then he gets, he's like, stop lying. And you're like, oh man, because somebody's gonna deny something in this list. And he just ends it saying, uh, don't lie. And we've got all kinds of justification of the truth in our culture, don't we? We have white lies. We have half-truths. We have untruths, partial truths. Okay, the Bible says, no, it, it's false witness. It's a lie. You can even say something that is true with a tone and an intention that is gonna lead somebody astray, and that's a lie. He says, just don't do it. As a matter of fact, I was considering this sin of lying in this whole list. And in my opinion, one of the first series of attacks and rebellion on God in, on planet Earth in the Garden of Eden was a series of lies and half-truths. When Satan himself came to Eve and began to give her kind of just some half-truths, and did God really say, and no, that's not really how it's gonna go, and if you do this, this will happen, and God's lying to you, and then she was lying, he was lying to her. It began to dawn on me that lying, because of that list, maybe that's one that you're gonna justify the easiest. Well, I'm not gonna be this, I'm not gonna do that, but I can, you know, I can lie here and there. Lying is literally anti-God, the opposite. The Bible has multiple verses where it says that God cannot lie, God does not lie, God will not lie. 
And so what Paul is saying here, because Jesus died for you, now you live for him. And he lists this kind of specific list. I mentioned this last week. We went through all this last week, by the way. It's kind of why I'm going fast. I'm glad he lists these sins in kind of an itemized fashion because you need to get specific with the stuff that you're dealing with. And you need to not only be specific with it, but you need to, you need to cut it out. He's gonna get positive in a few minutes. We're gonna get through the rest of this, uh, this portion where he says, don't just put off these things, but he's gonna get positive and say, put on these things. Put on the new man. Put on Jesus Christ. Put on righteousness and love and, and forbearance and patience and, and all these other things. And so it's, it's a both and. Once you get saved, amen, I'm saved. Now what? Well, now we gotta deal with the stuff and we gotta add the spirit. This is what we're doing. And when you go to the doctor, let's say your stomach hurt real bad, you're like, oh, you know, you go to the doctor and he does some x-rays, CAT scans, and he identifies your appendix is burst and it's leaking this bile into your system. He's like, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna be positive. You're gonna go home and you're gonna recycle. You're gonna join Rotary. You're gonna send those Christmas cards out on time this year. And uh, you're gonna do yoga. Okay, that's what we're gonna do. And all that's gonna just be fine. It's gonna be, yeah, those are all you know, positive things and fit, fitness and stuff. And positivity alone, adding these things of Christ is not enough to deal with the poison that remains. And so he lists these. And if you went to a doctor, you would want that doctor to not only go in there, get that appendix cut out, cut, which by the way, getting your appendix cut out is like kind of a normal procedure, but it's still radical, is it not? And they put you under, cut you open, cut it out, and then burn that sucker in an incinerator. Like, it's a big deal. And so when God lists these sins, it's easy to kind of scan over them. Say, ah, la, 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 la. And yet I think the Lord wants us to take it seriously, knowing that his heart is for us again, not against us. See, God loves you. The devil, he's a liar. He only ever seeks to steal, kill, and destroy we talked about this last week. I told you guys that you need to deal with your sin for four different reasons. And the reasons were, number one, because he said so. Like, that's enough. Just that's enough. But if it's not enough for you, go to the next one because it actually hurts him. When you sin and rebel and give yourself a hall pass and do silly things, it actually hurts the Father's heart. Incorporate that next time you make a sinful decision and that might help you to then resist sin and temptation. Number three, it doesn't just hurt him, it hurts you. If you notice this, and I've taught you guys this, I'll teach you again. Sin will take you further than you wanna go. It'll cost you more than you want to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay every single stinking time. And you try and make a deal with sin, like, don't hurt me so bad this time, okay? You know, and you start to make the deal, and don't, you know, don't make sure, and, and it never works. You always get the short end of the stick. And then the fourth reason we looked at last week, why this is imperative, why this is serious, because if you want to be an effective Christian, not only should you just do it because he said so, it's going to hurt him, it's going to hurt you, but it's also going to hinder people in their walk with Jesus Christ. They're gonna see you in your life of hypocrisy and silliness and sin, sin and backsliding, and they're not gonna want anything to do with Jesus. And I'm not advocating that each one of us move out here today and never sin again or find ourselves walking in completeness, but we need to find ourselves walking in furtherness. See, God is not after perfection. There's only one perfect person. His name's Jesus Christ, okay? But God does expect progress. Christians will never be sinless. There's a few people I've met that believe in sinless perfectionism, that if you just do it right, you'll never sin again. And usually what I like to do is pick a fight with these people. I like to pick a fight with them, make them mad, maybe do something silly, you know, just kind of push them off their, their foundation and get them to sin and, and join the camp where, where I live, you know. Come down from your pedestal. And there's no such thing as sinless perfectionism, okay? It's just never happened. You can, you can do whatever you want. God has given us power over sin, though. You don't have to bow down to sin. You don't have to answer every time it calls. 
Okay, you can repent and have that power broken. Romans 6, 7, and 8 tell us that. The penalty of sin has also been paid for by Jesus Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're set free. Okay, and the presence of sin one day will be eradicated, but right now, have you noticed that the presence of sin is still here in the room with us? Okay, it's still here. No, I'm not talking about your spouse. Okay, but it's still here. Have you noticed? Like, man, everywhere you look. And so what God is looking for is not sinless Christians, but Christians that sin less and less and less. This is good news, by the way, because if you came here this morning and you're a Christian, you know it, but maybe you're not proud of yourself as of late. Maybe you just made some huge mistakes. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe you do have anger and, and malice and wrath and, and outbursts. You got some silly things. Ah, oh, I said it again. I keep saying stuff, you know. Then I'm a Christian, you know. You say it that way. I'm a Christian, you know. <laughs> Or maybe it's worse. Maybe it's that first list and you're doing things and you're getting taken down. Because isn't there a battle right now in our culture? I mean, it is crazy. I'm a pastor. Like I get paid to read the Bible. I get paid to teach. I get paid to pray. Like it's crazy. You would think it would be easy to teach, preach, and pray, wouldn't you? Because I get, you know, it's not easy. There's a battle to stay soft toward the Lord, to stay pure toward the Lord, to stay engaged with the Lord because our culture is so heavy and predominant. These lists that were written here were written 2,000 years ago, but it could have been superimposed 2,000 years forward into our culture. Fornication and uncleanness and passions and evil desires, okay? This is called TV. This is what we see on MTV. This is everything that's being promoted to our young people. This is TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. It's all out there. Interesting, by the way, you history buffs, if you study cultures historically, Every nation that ruled the world or nations as it is in our day that found themselves in a generation of perversion and sexual exploitation and confusion, every generation, it was that generation, listen, that was the last generation. Everyone, Egypt, Babylon, Sodom and Gomorrah, Rome, every nation that had ethics and morals and power eventually got twisted and weird and out to lunch and so far out there that the wrath of God came and toppled that. It's just the way it is. In our culture, man, cultures are influential, aren't they? Man, it's, cultures are heavy and powerful and, and hard to even understand. Have you ever been uh, out of the country before? You ever been out of the country before? You ever been somewhere where they don't speak your language, they don't eat the same food, they don't listen to the same music, they don't do the same things as you? It's called Portland. You guys have been there before, you know? <laughs> just Weirdville, just weird weirdness. You get there. You ever been to Portland? I mean, seriously, you're like, roll the windows up, kids, you know? And like, I don't wear a mask, but I am today, you know? And like, I do wear a mask. But anyways, I, I've, I've been all over the world. I thank God for it. And when you go to other cultures, the cultural influence is hard to escape. And in most cultures, they actually ask you to find yourselves aligning with the culture. My wife and I went to Fiji one time years and years ago before we had kids and we went there with Luis Palau and 300 other missionaries and we spread out over both islands. And when we got there, they said, okay, you gotta do what they do. You gotta go to the customs of the Fijians. And the customs were, were pretty intense. They said, you can't look people in the eye, so stop doing that. We're like, uh, okay, <laughs> be crazy eyes. I can't look at anybody in the eye, you know? And there was another one where did VBS, Vacation Bible School, they said, you can't touch the children on the top of the head. It's very, very disrespectful. So don't ever, don't ever touch a kid on top of the head. It's like, okay, I'm not gonna look at them. I'm not gonna touch them. You know, I'm not going to do this. And when we got to the village, you had to have a kava ceremony with the chief and you had to sit in his house with all the other leaders of the tribe and you had to sit on the ground and drink kava, but you couldn't look at anybody in the eye and you had to celebrate every time. It was a weird thing. But the weirdest thing of all, they said, oh, and Pastor Luke, when you get here, you're going to have to buy a dress and wear it the whole time. 
I said, what'd you say? And I remember we were driving and I was so jet lagged and I was so tired. I remember I actually we were driving, took hours to get to our particular village on the Singatoga River uh, where they filmed Anaconda with Ice Cube, but you don't need to know that. But anyways, uh, as we were driving there, we went to this little store and they said, okay, here's the store where you go buy your dress, Luke. And they'd stopped and they said, go buy your dress. I said, I don't want to buy a dress, you know, and I don't know how to buy a dress. And uh, uh, this guy that was driving actually helped me. So I'll go in there and help you buy a dress, you know. So here's a picture of me wearing my dress and, and I'm the guy on the right and, uh, <laughs> yeah. If I didn't feel confident before the dress, I sure didn't feel confident after the dress. And the, the culture, and, and, the, and I could tell stories about Fiji, it's not my point. Put the next picture up there. Here's, here's Crystal and I on the night that we left the, the village. Here's us uh, having our meal. And they had this special meal where we had to eat everything on our plate. There was all these freshwater uh, oysters and mussels and stuff that was making us throw up, you know. And, and then they all came over to us and started throwing flour at our face. It's like a custom. was like, you guys want to fight? I'll fight you right now. I'll take my dress right off, you know. And they said, oh, no, this is honor. We're honoring you. And I was like, okay, that's not how we do it in America. But anyways... Anyways, you can take that down. I want to share those pictures with you guys to help, help heal my heart of my embarrassment. <laughs> culture. I mean, the culture is strong right now, isn't it? It's not, it's not helping you and I to live for Christ. It really isn't. So you're gonna, if, if Jesus died for you, you're going to need to make a couple big boy and big girl decisions for the rest of your life over and over again. I want to live for him. He died for me? I don't want to live for him. I want to do something. I, want to, I don't want to be like the world. I'm not going to go on a war path against them and attack them. But I know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We can't be just like the world. We can't accept the things that the world says is okay. It's going to lead to disaster. He doesn't just say this in this chapter. He says it in Romans too. I want to read to you out of Romans 13. If you're taking notes, write this down. Paul says this in Romans 13. He says, and do this, verse 11, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day's at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lusts, not in strife and in envy. Look at verse 14, this is kind of the big idea. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Here's the big idea as you turn back to Colossians chapter three. We need to put off the works of darkness, okay? And we need to put on Jesus Christ. And I love these terms because they're real simple to understand. It's just as simple as putting off old clothes that are dirty or wore out. They don't, they have to be dealt with. This has to go. And I'm gonna put on new clothes. It's just that simple. And I want you who are Christians here today to wrap your mind around this simple invitation to do just that. Because God's enablements are his commandments. God's commandments are his enablements. If he said to do it, you can do it. And so if you're struggling with a sin right now, struggling with an issue right now, put it off like an old garment. You ever put on that shirt before and you know it's the wrong, that you shouldn't be wearing it? You're like, I think this missed the wash in all of 2020. Yeah, for sure, this missed the wash. You know, take, take, take that sucker off, dude. We can all smell it, man, knock it off. He says in verse five, he gives, therefore he said, therefore put to death. It, that word literally means murder. It means kill it. And I wanna speak to somebody who's dealing with something, maybe something's holding you back and you're just like, ah, oh, man, I'm just trying to tame this sin. <laughs> There's no taming sin. It's gonna kill you. 
It's, you need to hear it over and over and over. One time I was in Honduras and we were deep in the jungles of Chiloteca and there's no power, no water. We, we brought some water to them, but, but we, were in the, in the, we were in the jungle. And one night I was up at the upper uh, village and one of the leaders up there, his name was Olayo, and we were up there eating and, and he found this tarantula, this big black tarantula. We have some crazy spider stories in Honduras. That's why I don't go to missions there anymore. But they had this huge tarantula and they had it kind of like in this container. We were all looking at it and Olayo was the leader, but he was about this tall, this old man. He's like 175 years old and he was like this big and harder, harder worker than I was. And I remember we were all sitting there looking at it. I'm just a guy, you know, watch a tourist or whatever. And the, the tarantula crawled out and landed on the ground and ran off into the woods and Olayo's smile went off his face and he ran after it and with his big boot. And I was like, whoa. And he looked at me and he said, araña, like that. Which is my, that means span, it's spider for Spanish. Spanish for spider. Come back at the next service. It'll come out better than that. And I just remember, I've got it written in my notes, actually right here, it says like the spider in Hondo, kill it. Because it'll bite you, it'll kill you. I mean, how many spider bites do you want every night you go to bed? Like a few, like two, three, like what's your standard? Like you want any spider bites? Like if you know there's spiders in your room, you're not sleeping, you're going somewhere else, you're going to a hotel that night, you know? Deal with it. He says, this is a big deal, put it to death. And he talks about all these things in our life that hopefully you have some connection to. And I just want to encourage you, by the way, because I bet there's at least a handful of people in here who are really battling with sin. This isn't a fun message for you. It's, it's a timely message, okay? But it's for everybody. I heard a story one time of a young man who was struggling with lust and temptation and sin. And so he was counseling with an 80-year-old man about this battle of the flesh. And he asked this 80-year-old man, he said, how long does the battle against sin and lust and temptation last? When is it over? And the 80-year-old man says, well, I'll tell you one thing, not when you're 80. And as a young person, you're like, what? You know, like, what? And the reality is it doesn't end until you get to heaven. And I want to say that and say this, that's good news. Because if you've been a Christian for a decade or two and you're still battling demons, battling your flesh, you might find yourself very discouraged today. You might find yourself, man, what am I, how come I'm still dealing with this anger this frustration, how come I'm still doing this? I'm saved, I'm spirit-filled, I'm born again. Man, I'm even a Sunday school teacher, I'm a leader, I've been on mission trips. Will this ever go away from me, this body of death? And you need to every single day, just like you woke up this morning and you got dressed again. You did your hair again. You ever had a great hair day, just like the best hair day of your life? Some of you guys just had flashbacks to the 1900s. <laughs> the last time you had a hair day, like, oh yeah, that was awesome. And if you, like, just say you have a great day, are you on point, everything's good, the day ends, guess what? You go to bed and you wake up all messed up again. Every day, every single day you got, oh man, I got to do it again and brush the tooth and put the beard back and I got to do it every single day. And in your spiritual journey, it's okay to wake up and to put on Jesus Christ one more time. Today's that day for some of you. Ugh. Put off the works of darkness and let's put on, it's an invitation. He tells us, this is for you. And the worst thing you can do is lie about it. Verse nine, he says, don't lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds. And I would just pray a, a blessing on all of us that we would be sensitive this morning to the things of God. Are you, don't raise your hand, but are you sensitive? We're gonna, we're gonna read in a few verses where he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is when the Holy Spirit is blowing the whistle, throwing the flag, calling you out. The word for rule in let the peace of God rule in your heart is barboa, 
in the Greek, and it literally means umpire. It means ref. It means God's watching, the Holy Spirit's watching everything you're doing, and he's telling you if it's a ball or a strike, if you're safe or you're out, if it's a penalty or if it's good, and he's telling you, and you know who are spirit-filled. You know when you're out of bounds, don't you? And the Lord will help you. I want to be sensitive. Lying's an interesting sin. Uh, I got plenty of sins. You could sit down with my wife, and she'll tell you all of them, and... Um, or just go on Facebook. Anyways, I got all kinds of stuff in my life, but lying's an interesting one for me because I'm not a very good liar. I actually can't lie. I'll, I'll, I'll actually share the truth. And if you tell me, ask me, how did I do? I'll tell you, you did bad and I'll offend you, you know? And I'm just not very good at lying. I remember one time, Pastor Bo and I, we were about 17 years old and we were bored. And uh, he wasn't Pastor Bo at the time, let me tell you what. And um, we, were, we were on the other side of the bridge and he said, let's, let's do something. I said, okay, I'm gonna go to the Chevron and I'm gonna buy some beer because we're bored. Let's go see how that goes. And I don't have a fake ID, but I'll, I'll see how it goes. And I remember I walked to the Chevron and I grabbed some beer and I set it on the counter and the guy looked at the beer he looked at me and he looked at me. We went to the same high school together, the guy that was working there. And he looked at the beer and he looked at me and he said, hey, are you 21? And I looked at him with these steel eyes and I said, no. <laughs> and he said, oh, well, I, I can't sell you this beer then. And I said, Okay. And I walked out without anything. And I just remember that for the rest of my life because while I was willing to like buy beer illegally, which you should never do, but I was willing to do it. When he asked me, are you, I was like, no, I can't lie. You know, I can't lie. I'm just trying to, I probably won't share that story at the second service, but uh, it was a long time ago, guys, like 25 years ago. He tells us we once walked in these things. Don't lie. May the Holy Spirit keep us sensitive. Let's actually get positive. He says, verse nine, see the segue here. Don't lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds. He keeps talking and have put on the new man who was renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now he's getting positive, hopeful and optimistic. He says, you're a Christian now? Yeah, I'm a Christian now. I'm not perfect yet, but I'm being renewed. Everyone say, I'm being renewed. I'm being renewed right now. I'm being changed. There's some promises. God says, if you just stick with me, you'll become more like me. I got three kids. One's in the back, one's at home, one's upstairs there. And all three of my kids, as they grow, I got 14, 12, and 10. As they grow, they resemble me and their mom because they're our kids and they're becoming more like us in many ways. There's nothing they can do to avoid it. Sorry, son, you're gonna look, you might, might be a little taller than me, but you know, you're gonna resemble your dad and there's my dad right there and my mom and I resemble them. I want you to be encouraged. Even if you're struggling right now, you're not proud of yourself. You wouldn't even consider yourself an, an apostle, you know, but you're a B-postle. You're not the best. His command is, is put on Jesus Christ and be renewed in the image of God, in the knowledge of God. It's the word he uses. I'm gonna give you two verses that I want you to write down. Um, I didn't ask Dave to put these up there. I'll read them to you. It's 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's one of my favorite verses to commit to memory. It says that we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Stop right there. You know what that says? It says that if you're a believer, you can actually hang out with God. You can have face time with him, like in a mirror, looking at God's Spirit through his word, through his spirit, through his people, and you can be changed into his image. How? The more you spend time with him. I mean, does that surprise anybody? Like you're gonna be a product of your environment. The more you spend time with God, the more godly you're gonna be. Can I get a duh from somebody? Okay, duh, duh. It's the same as an amen, but kind of different, like duh. That's good news. 
And so if you're not proud of yourself, if you're not where you want to be, if you've veered off course, if you're not able to do what God has called you to do, maybe spend some more time with them. It's that simple. Put them on. Put them on. You got to make some big boy and big girl decisions today because the devil's not going to stop coming at you. Maybe even today you identify those distractions and those vices that the devil keeps bringing your way. He just keeps doing it over and over and over. He's never going to stop. You think the devil tires? You think he has a day off? Like, man, we've been giving Luke a hard time. Let's give him a weekend off, okay, you know? He never takes time off. And so you got to position yourself. Romans chapter 12 also, I won't read it to you, but you guys know what it says. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this is an invitation. I want you to see it again, verse 10. And having put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to him who created him. Get more Jesus and everything else will figure itself out. This is an invitation for you. And if you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling in your singleness, you're struggling in your sinfulness, okay, Jesus is the answer. Thank you, always. It's just it. The Bible says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Everything, every, the issue, what's the issues of life? I don't know, you fill it in. How's how's the issues of your life? (laughs) Are they all messed up? Okay, don't be ashamed if they are, that's fine. You live in the world, it's broken. And your heart is where the, the Lord lives and where that fellowship happens. It's not that difficult. Look at verse 11, he goes on, this is positive. He says that not only are we being renewed, but where there is, verse 11, this is the kingdom, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul just kind of freaks out a little bit about the kingdom of God. He's in jail right now. He's a Jew writing to a bunch of people in Colossae. He's never been there. And he wants to clarify that the kingdom of God is real big, that there isn't all these divisions. Listen, but there is this beautiful thing called unity. There's all kinds of people. There's old people, there's young people, there's, there's, there's married people, there's single people, there's people with lots of kids, people with no kids, there's poor people, there's rich people in the kingdom of God, all different colors, shapes and sizes, all different creeds, cultures and backgrounds. They're all there. And when I was reading this last night, it kind of reminded me of the melting pot that we call South Beach Church because there's a lot of different people at South Beach Church. There's young and there's old, there's rich and there's poor, there's super religious, there's super irreligious, there's people with kids, people without kids, and there's all kinds of things going on here. And I want us to know and celebrate, that's how much God has love for everybody. Do you fit in that group somewhere? Are you one of those people that I just described? I'm one of those people. And what happened in in Paul's day is that if you were on the outside looking in, you couldn't get in. They have caste systems and people who deserved and people who were honored, people came in, and Paul says, no, 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 no. Did you put on the new man? Did you put on Jesus Christ? Yeah, I put on Jesus Christ. Oh, come on in, we're all the same, we're all the same. This changes everything. This is so great. This again is, if you're a Bible student, is reinforced in Acts chapter 10 where Peter's given the vision of the, uh, the pigs in the blanket, the, the, the sheets that come down with all the unclean animals. And, and remember, there's pigs in there and other stuff. And, and remember, read it, read it. You'll read it later. It's coming up. He goes on now and gives us some more directives. We're gonna get to verse 17, okay? So I'm gonna talk fast. You guys are gonna have to listen even faster. He says in verse 12, he says, therefore, another therefore, as the elect of God, Holy and beloved, I'm just gonna read three verses, maybe five in a row, check this out. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, 
so you also must do, but above all these things, put on love. Stop right there, eyes up here. And in verse 10, he says to put on the new man. Verse 12, he says put on tender mercies. And verse 14, he says put on love. Let's just take that phrase and let's just make sure we understand what he's saying. He says, just put it on. It's a put on. Have you ever had to smile when you didn't want to smile? It's just a put on. Like when you're, someone asks you how you're doing, you're like, I'm great. So good. You know, it's a put on. Listen, did you know you're actually allowed to do that? By faith, listen, in Jesus' name, therefore knowing you're going to heaven. You see, when you know who you are, you're authorized and you then know what to do. I'm actually thankful. I'm, I'm kind of programmed at this point. Whenever anybody asks me how I'm doing, immediately I'm reminded of the fact that my end game is heaven. And there's so much going on in my life that I don't want to deal with. It's so much heaviness and difficulty, stress and trauma and drama. So much stuff that I'm actually smile when someone says, how you doing? Even though I'm doing bad in, in a sense, I smile. Thanks for asking. I'm going to heaven. Thanks for reminding me. I'm doing so stinking good, you know, because I'm going to heaven. And in a sense, it's a put on. Because there's stuff going on around me. Messes I've made, messes you've made, messes they're making. And if you're a conqueror in Christ, you're going to heaven when you die. And you can do all things through Christ until then. And nothing formed against you shall prosper. And all things that are happening to you are gonna be worked together for good. And the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And how are you doing? <laughs> I'm so good. Do you believe this? It's a, it's a promise to you. Now you could easily summarize your situation. I don't wanna step on toes or offend hearts unnecessarily. Your situation could be very heavy right now. Very heavy. The scriptures speak to that. Difficulties, injustices, disappointments. It's hard. And yet you can put on the new man. Look at the, here's the, here's the big idea. What Jesus has done allows us to then do what he's asking us to do. Because he died for you, now live for him in these ways. Deal with that old stuff, but also don't stop there. Don't just stop there. Put the good stuff on as well. Let's just look at this kind of verse by verse real quickly. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Those are three titles he gives to you. Because if you know who you are, you'll know what to do. The first title he gives to us is elect. Okay, this literally means chosen. You ever play kickball in second grade? And everyone lines up just hoping to get chosen and the captains are picking teams, and it's getting real close to you being the last one picked. And pretty soon you're the last one picked, and you have to go to this team. You ever been there before? Don't raise your hand. You know, it's not, it's not, I was the little guy. I was the short guy. I was kind of athletic, but I was a little guy. We've all, but can you imagine being picked first? You're the elect. It literally means you've been elected. We know how elections work here. They're all rigged, but in heaven, they're not rigged. I don't know. I'm just kidding. You guys shouldn't laugh. That's not funny. I don't know. God elected you. Like he's, he, he picked you. You're the elect of God, you're chosen. He doesn't just stop there. He says that you're holy. Whoa. That's a present tense, past tense, and future tense. How'd you do that? Well, I, I put off my old man. Well, how's that working for you? Well, I gotta do it every day. Kind of sucks. Well, did you put on the new man, which is Jesus Christ? Yeah, I put Jesus on. I put Jesus on. I'm holy now. That changes everything. I'm elect and holy. And then he goes on to say, you're beloved. Beloved. It's not a word we use necessarily in our culture, you know. Walk up to your friends. How you doing, beloved? You know. 
fill out your application, drop off your resume. My name is Beloved, and I'm currently unemployed for some reason. <laughs> we, don't, you know, we don't use that terminology. He does. Let's use a different term. How about blessing? Appreciated. I got three kids, like I mentioned, and they're blessings to me. They're, they're my beloved. Those are my kids. And God looks at you and says, those are my beloved. He loves you. He appreciates you. He loves you. He doesn't just say those things, but he goes on to then call us in verse 12, the elect, holy and beloved. He tells us what to do. Put on tender mercies. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Tender mercies is a soft heart towards God and towards others and towards yourself. Just, just be tender. He says to put on kindness. And this is, again, this is a lost art in our culture. Our culture is very hard, very cynical, very sarcastic. We, we actually pay stand-up comedians to be hard and sarcastic and cynical. We watch movies in this fashion. We make fun of each other. It's, it's very accepted in our culture. Wouldn't it be awesome if you were a beloved Christian? You said, I'm going to be tender. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to actually be different. I'm going to have a different flavor than the rest of this world. He says, not only that, but put on humility. And humility isn't thinking less of yourself where you're, you're so humble. Oh, I'm just, a, I'm just a jerk. Just, man, don't even look at me. Humble, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Just walking in humility, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about others. And Jesus tells us through Paul, this is how I want you to, to work in your neighborhood. This is how I want you to drive on Highway 101. Good luck with that. This is how I want you to, you know, or, order yourself in life is to be kind and tender, putting on humility. It says meekness and long-suffering as well. Meekness is power under control when you really know who you are, but you're not taking your authority and using it against others. Long-suffering, patient and enduring bearing with one another, he says in verse 13, and forgiving one another, even as Christ. Or even if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Look at verse 13 real quick. Isn't this crazy? This is a high standard. Bear with one another, long-suffering, forgiving other people, just as Christ forgave you. And if anybody has a complaint against somebody, just as Christ forgave the complaint against you, forgive the complaint against them. Now let's just go ahead and pull that apart real quickly. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ still complained about you? Like how, how many complaints would he have? Walking around heaven, did you see what that Luke did? Man, I can't believe it. Did you guys see this? Oh, I'm so mad. I'm about to throw something at him, you know? Like I would be donezo if Jesus were still complaining about me, but he's forgiven me. And so he's asked me, Luke, I forgave you. Can you forgive others? Now, let me challenge you. Because when you forgive somebody, you're not saying that what they've done is right. See, when Jesus forgives me, he's not saying, Luke, I'm just going to pretend you didn't do that. It'll be our little secret. Or I'm going to change the law for you, Luke. We'll just go ahead and make, we'll just make you, you know. No, he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. My son paid for you. And when you forgive another person, you're not justifying what they did. You're not saying what they did was right. Listen, you're not pretending that they didn't do what they did. But instead, like Christ forgave you, you're forgiving them as well. And let me just tell you right now, if you struggle with that, take this to the bank. Did you know that the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord? See, the, wrong, well, the main reason why we can't forgive or won't forgive is because we don't want this person to go without some sort of punishment or righteousness. And let me just tell you right now, you don't have the pay grade. You don't have the authority. You don't have the knowledge and the wisdom. You don't have the empathy and compassion to actually be the one that holds that vengeance over somebody. So God says, I'll do it. I know all things. I know the whole backstory. I know the front story. I know the, the side story. I got it all. And so if you're a Christian here, he tells you forgive others, okay? That doesn't mean you're gonna be in direct fellowship or relationship with these people. You have to forgive, you can let them go. And if you don't let them go, 
okay? You'll be the first to know it. You'll walk with a sadness and a heaviness, a difficulty. And if you have forgiven somebody, just like when the Lord forgave you, freedom. Guys, I'm not telling you this is easy, but it is a command. Okay, none of these are easy, but the Lord tells us, and with his commandments come his enablements. He goes on, he says, but above all these things, verse 14, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You know, I'm just probably gonna pick up there next week and, and keep going. Above all these things, put on love. Now, you could read this in one breath and say, above all what things? The, the things we're supposed to put off or the things we're supposed to put on? And I'd say the answer is yes. Because if you truly put on love, okay, love from above, if you truly put on love, you will be convicted in your heart of the things you're dealing with, the sin that remains within, and you're going to cast off those works of darkness. It comes down to your to the measure of love that you're letting God pour into you. And if you wanna be found walking in peace and humility, love. Did you, isn't it interesting what he says in verse 14? He says it's the bond of perfection. I don't know why superglue's not using this as their like tagline yet, you know? Superglue, the bond of perfection. Like, whoa, dang. That's pretty intense. That means it's a bond that is perfect. First Corinthians 13 says it this way. It says, love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. Verse eight, my favorite part, love never fails. Now, here's the problem. We've tried a lot of things. We've tried a lot of things. Defense, offense, pulling back, advancing, all kinds of things. And the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Love never fails. Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, his last night at the Last Supper, he said, by your love one for another, they'll know you're my disciples. Something within your core DNA as a Christian knows that your job is to make other people know that, God, that Jesus is real. Like that's, your, that's what you're here for. Well, how are we gonna let them know? How are we gonna do it? <laughs> and he says, how about you go love people? Uh, something else, give me something else. <laughs> what else you got? <laughs> love never fails. And when you love others, you're yourself filled with love. You're the, you're the most full person in the whole world. We get addicted to these weird things that are not love. Control and self-righteousness and pride. And they all leave us hungry, thirsting for more. You guys, the portion of scripture I just read will change your life in the only way that that's gonna happen is through the power of the Holy Spirit. This, none, of this, none, of this, none of this is going anywhere without him in our lives. So let's pray and ask him to help us because we need help. Jesus, in your name, would you now give us the Holy Spirit to do these things, to believe these things. I pray, Lord, for personal, specific 
timely application for every man here and every woman here. In Jesus' name, you would show them exactly what they are to put off and exactly what they are to put on, and they would trust you. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you speak to us right now? And maybe you know the Holy Spirit's already spoken to you. Maybe it was the whole gamut. It's every single thing. You're like, wow, I came in empty, and I got it. Now I know what I need. Whatever it is for you, if you know what it is, and you need the Holy Spirit to help you do these things, you believe it, but you need him to settle it, would you just raise up your hand right now and say, yeah, Holy Spirit, help me. I'm in dire need right now. My life is all messed up. I am in this culture, and it's hard. I'm part of the culture. And yet Jesus says, you're going to heaven Therefore, put to death these things. Therefore, put on the new man. Therefore, do these things. And your commandments are your enablements. Lord, my hand is up as well, and I, I just repent. Maybe you need to repent this morning. Even just say it under your lips, I repent, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. Lord, I'm so sorry. Thank you, Jesus. You can just receive that thank, that, that, just that rejoicing in his, his salvation for you right now, his forgiveness. He hasn't withheld that from you. He still loves you. But some of the things you're, you're dabbling in right now, they're, they're poisoning you. Lord, my hand is still up. I just need your power. If you need that power, keep your hand up and just say, yes, Lord, fill me. Fill me, Lord. Forgive me. Strengthen me. And do these things, Lord, for your glory and for others' joy. You can put your hands down. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. Lord, I pray that next Sunday is the last Sunday of the year. Lord, this Friday, we're gonna gather and celebrate your birth. I pray for a powerful Christmas in Jesus' name, a powerful Christmas that we would all repent. The Bible says that if my people would humble themselves and repent, call upon me, that I would hear them from heaven, I'd heal them. That's not just a bunch of renegades and rebels out there. That's me. That's us, if my people. And so, Lord, we repent. We thank you so much, Lord. Bless us as we go our way now. Bless the 11 a.m. services. They come in. We thank you for all you've done. Do more, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen. God bless you guys.